I don't know if any of you have heard, but um, this past week, the Pope was at, uh, well, was in, in town in New York City for a meeting at the United Nations. And uh, when he got there, he was running a little bit late, and, you know, and he went out and hailed a cab. And um, he got rid of the, got rid of the Pope mobile, and uh, so it, it just, they're, cutting, they're cutting back. So he went out and hailed a cab, and the cab driver pulled over and he said, listen, I'm late for a meeting at the United Nations, I need to be there. And, in 20 minutes and the cabbie said well you know what typically that's a 30 to 40 minute drive even at you know at good times with no traffic and we're in the middle of traffic it's going to take an hour to get there and he said look i'll give you a bonus i'll give you an extra 200 dollars if you can get me there on time because i'm the featured speaker and i'm late and he said no nah, there's no way i could do it. he said well i'll give you 500 dollars." he said no you don't understand there's no way i could do it i'd have to speed and it's too dangerous and this is what i do for a living if i get a ticket and lose my license and i'm not gonna be able to support my family and there's just no way i can do it he said i'll tell you what i'll make you a deal Pope said, I'll give you $1,000 and I'll drive. All you got to do is sit in the back and I'll drive and I'll take all the risk. And the cabbie's thinking, gee, 1000 bucks, and I'm not even driving. If he gets pulled over, it's his problem and that's great. So he gets in the back and off they go to the United Nations. And the Pope's just flying down the, the freeway and he's cutting in and out of traffic. And before you know it, sure enough, he gets pulled over. Policeman pulls over, he goes up and he says, can I see your driver's license? The Pope pulls it out and gives it to him, and he goes, I'll be right back. So he goes back, and he says, uh, hey, hey, he gets on the radio and says, look, I, I got to talk to the chief. The dispatcher goes, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. So the chief gets on and says, chief, I don't know what to do. He says, what's the matter? He goes, I just pulled somebody over, and I mean, this guy is really big, and, and I, I don't know if I should give him a ticket or not. He says, well, was he speeding? He said, absolutely. He said, hey, we don't care who it is, you give him a ticket. He goes, no, you don't understand, this guy is really big. He goes, well, how big can he be? I mean, who is he? He goes, you know what, I don't know who he is, but all I know, he's so big, he's got the Pope driving for him. <laughs> you know, and sometimes, you know, we have learned, I think through this series, if nothing else, we have learned that we have to examine all of the facts before we jump to any conclusions. You know, in our last few sessions, we saw the importance of grace, and probably not even the importance, the necessity of grace when it comes to accepting one another and our differences that so easily and quickly divide us, that grace is so important to be able to do that. We saw the importance of when you think about grace from the standpoint of being able to forgive one another when we're offended by things that we do or say. And even the importance of grace in accepting forgiveness when we've done something wrong and we've asked for forgiveness and, and being alleviated of the guilt that goes along with it. So we've seen how important grace is in all of these aspects of our life. And the important thing is, is that, you know, as a follow-up to this whole thing on forgiveness, I think it's important to understand that forgiveness also involves forgetting. You know, one of the, the greatest hindrances of forgiving one another is being able to forget the offenses that either we've committed against others when we're told we're forgiven and we just can't seem to forget the fact that we've done something to hurt someone or even those offenses that are committed against us and we say that we forgive and yet it's very difficult to forget and so basically in this session what I want to focus all of our time on is, is learning how to forget either offenses that are done against us that we say that we have forgiven or even when we have harmed another person and asked for forgiveness, to be able to accept that forgiveness and forget the offense and to move on with our life. You know, when I was talking to several of you last time that we got together and we talked about this whole thing of forgiveness, one of the things that continually came back in, in almost every one of my conversations, and I know that it's a struggle for you as well as it is for me, and that is that oftentimes you hear someone say, you know, I don't have a problem forgiving them but I'm really struggling with forgetting about it. You know, I know I said I've forgiven them, and I know that I, I've heard that I've been forgiven, but what I struggle with is forgetting it. I just continually am reminded of it. And so we're going to look at the grace to for, not only forgive, like we talked about last time, but the grace also that's required to forget. And just kind of doing a little word study and, and uh, looking at the dictionary, what Webster has to say about this whole thing of forgetting. We're told that to forget means to lose the remembrance of. To lose the remembrance of. He goes on to say that it's to treat with inattention or dis to disregard. Kind of, well, you know, like we say, I'll oh, just forget about it. 
Now, how many of you ever told, oh, just uh, don't, don't worry about it, just forget about it. Oh, okay, now that helped. <laughs> you know, just forget about it. It means to overlook or to cease remembering or noticing. We say that we forgive and then we say, well, now we need to forget about it. And when you look at this, it's important to understand that each of these things are active on our part. It's something that we must choose to do. If you recall in our time last, we spoke about forgiveness. And we saw in the parable in Matthew 18 of this, of this servant who was forgiven a great debt. But he said that when he had somebody who had offended him, he went to him. And he said he was unwilling to forgive the debt of the other man who had a debt that he was owing to him. And the Bible indicates to us that forgiveness is a willing choice on our part. We're to willfully forgive. Forgive a person and willfully forget. It means we have to choose to do that. Some of us are unwilling to forgive, and, and now many of us are unwilling, we say, to we forgive, but I'm unwilling to forget. The problem is that you have to be willing to do both, and it's a matter of choice. It means to actively choose to forget or to overlook or cease remembering. The idea in my mind is, have you ever noticed there are times in your life where someone has done something to you or has harmed you in some way, you say that you have forgiven them for that, and an incident takes place that is like the perfect time in your mind to say, aha, yeah, doing it again. See, you're, you know, you haven't changed. And then it's like you pull out the cassette from 1972. You know, and you get this library, this, this library, filed library of all the offenses that somebody has done. I've got a friend who's struggling in their marriage right now. And I said, you know, what's going on? And this was his response. He said, you know what? Hey, you've heard it all before. It's, I mean, because I've known them for 10 years and they've gone through a roller coaster ride in their marriage. And his answer to me was, you've heard it all before. It's the same old thing. It hasn't changed. It was like, let me get you the cassette, and you can listen to it in the truck, and you don't have to spend any time sitting here talking to me about it. Let's pull it out from 72, <clears throat> 78, 85, 87. Let's pull out the cassette from two months ago. See, many of us are trapped in that, in, in that, that, that downward cycle of, you know what? Oh, yeah, I forgave gave you for it, but I haven't forgot about it. And in fact, if anything, I got it all chronicled and filed in my tape library, and let me just give you the tape. And so what we're, what we're going to struggle with understanding is that to forget requires a willingness on our part to do so. And as we go through this, you're going to wonder, I mean, is it even possible to forget some of the things that go on? Fortunately, the Bible gives us some answers. And if you've got your Bible, turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to give you four guidelines that I found as I've gone through the Bible on the whole subject of forgiving and also forgetting and take a look at each one of them and go through them to see if there's some way that each of us can learn not only to forgive each other, but also to forget. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's start with verse 4. In 1 Corinthians 13, we, we find the definitive chapter on love that's in the Bible. It not only tells us uh, who love is, the Bible, as far as God is concerned, we love because God first loved us and that God is love, but it also tells us what God's love does and how active that it is. And in 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 4, we read this. God's love, perfect love, agape love, is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, doesn't brag, is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and does not take into an account a wrong that suffered. And as you go through this, I like this because it says, for those of us who have entered into a relationship with God by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that now we can love because He first loved us. We can forgive because just as God in Christ has forgiven us. We have the ability to do that. We have the ability to love one another as only God could truly love us and allow Him to love through us to others. And he's saying, so God's love is, is patient. It doesn't fly off the handle quickly. It doesn't wait for somebody to do something wrong and say, aha, there you go again. Now I've got you. It's patient. It's long-suffering. God's love is kind. It looks for the right thing to say at the right moment in time to build the other person up because that's when that person has a need. 
He says it's not jealous. It, does, it's not, it doesn't brag and is not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly or, or pout when we don't get our own way. And you look at all the differences that we have with one another and the difficulties and, and the fact that we're offending each other so often. Many times it's because we just frankly, we don't get our way. It says it doesn't pout. It doesn't act unbecomingly or ugly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked easily. And, 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 and in context of what we're talking about, it says, and it doesn't take into an account a wrong that's suffered. It doesn't take into account. It, it, it's an accounting term, meaning that when somebody harms us, we don't note it down on a piece of paper for future reference. We don't bring it back up again. It's not a ledger that we're keeping track of. You know, so many people in marriage that I talk to, you know, it's like, oh, well, see, now you did this, now I can do this. And so we keep track. We keep track of the ledger. Okay, you did this, or you said this, or you hurt me, now I can do this. And it's a matter of, okay, now we're even with one another. We're always looking to even or balance the scale. And God says, you know what, love isn't like that. That if you're going to forgive and you're going to forget, it's not like that. You can't keep track for future reference. You can't write it down. You can't chronicle it. You can't put it on cassette tape. You can't have a tape library where you're going to it and as soon as something comes up and bring it up and say, here's that tape, go ahead and listen to it again. You know, when, when, I, was, when I was growing up and lived back in Pennsylvania, my grandmother lived out kind of in, a, in the country and they had a little country store. And when I would go up there, the greatest, it was the coolest thing in the world as a kid to be able to go to the store and pick out an ice cream and say, oh, just put that on my grandmother's account. Put it on her tab. It was great. You know, you could really rack it up big time quick. You know, and I didn't, I never knew that, you know, they told her until like she got the bill at the end of the month. I just thought, you know, they liked her or something. You know, I was like, oh, it's your grandmother. No problem. Here, have an ice cream. And, and they were keeping track of everything that I bought. You know, some of us think that, you know, credit cards work the same way, huh? <laughs> this is great. You don't even need money. But um, it, it, with, the, with the term is, it's like, you know what, they, you know, they kept track for future reference. Time to pay up. Oh, time to pay, pay the bill. Here it is. And they'd send it. Oh, 77 ice cream cones this month. Wow, that's a new record. <laughs> but, uh, and, and we're like that. And what God's saying is, don't you understand that if you're going to learn to forget, you have to refuse to keep score. You can't keep writing stuff down for future reference. If you're going to forget about it, you have to forget about it. You know, when tempted to relive the forgotten past, you have to choose to forget. Now, that's even when we've offended other people. You know, one of the things that's fascinating to me is that many of us wrestle with the guilt of, I made a mistake. And you beat yourself to death for the rest of your life because you made a mistake. You've gone to the person, you've asked for forgiveness, they say that they've forgiven you, you've gone to God, you've confessed your sin, He says that if you're fa He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from it, it's over with. And yet you continually keep beating yourself to death because you blew it and you made a mistake. And even when you try to forget, there's somebody in your life who will remind you that you did it. And just when you get to that point where it's like, okay, I finally trust God and I know I'm forgiven, I'm going to forget about it, somebody will bring it up and say, but you did that. Oh, man, I did. But you know what? But I also know that I'm forgiven. And I also know that I went to the person that I harmed and I asked for forgiveness and I try to make it right and anything that I can do and I can't control their response, but I did everything that I have to do according to what God tells me to do. And because of that, you know what? I'm not keeping score anymore. He goes on in his second guideline. Don't keep score. Don't write stuff down. Don't keep track of it. We don't have to do that. Don't try to balance the scales all the time. I'm the one that's always been hurt. I'm the one that's always taking advantage of. I'm the one that's always having to forgive. I'm the one that's doing this. All. Hey, you know what? Forget about it. And the quicker that you learn it, the better off you're going to be. Don't keep track to bring up for future reference. Don't take into an account a wrong that's been suffered. Throw it away. Number two, the second guideline he says is, you know what? We need to rise above any offense. No matter what anybody does to us, no matter what we unfortunately do to other people, we have to be able to rise above any offense that's, that's true of our life. Look at Psalm 119, 165. I love this. What a great guideline on helping us to forget. Psalm 119, 165. We read this. Those who love your law have great peace and nothing nothing causes them to stumble those who love your law God's saying you know, you know what the psalmist says those who love the word of God 
have a great peace in their life. And there isn't anything that anybody could do to cause you to stumble in your life. You know, I, I, you know, I think about this, and I think, you know, there's no coincidence that those who are committed to God's Word, who love the Word of God, that God says that those who love His Word, God gives shalom, peace. Those who love His Word, God gives peace. And there's nothing that comes up in our life that will cause us to stumble or to take that away from us. Now you stop and think, well, why not? You know, why not? I mean, just because I love the Word of God and because I spend time at it, why is it that nothing will come and, and cause me to stumble? You know, stop and think about it. I was going through this and just jotting some ideas down. You know, it's like when I realize that somebody has harmed me and I love the Word of God and I read the Bible and I see what's in here and I see all the events that have taken place throughout human history that God has chosen to record for our benefit and our purpose and I look and I see what other people have done and how they have failed, and how God has responded to them, and how that He has forgiven them, how He has restored them, how He has built them back up. I realize that as Romans 8.28 says, that God really does cause all things to work good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. When I read that, I see that, I know that, I love the Word of God, I get into it and I study it and I meditate on it, and I memorize it and, and I make it part of my life. You know what? I can't help but have peace. Why? God's in control. No matter who harms me, what I see as I go through the Bible and every one of God's people, men and women who have been harmed by other people, when I see how they've been hurt by others and realize that, you know what, none of that could take place without it being filtered through the hand of God. That God is in control of everything and everybody and there's no harm that could come their way that God didn't say, that's okay, for it's a trial that I'm placing in your life for the purpose of building you up so you have endurance so that you'll be perfected in your faith and you'll mature and you'll grow up and you'll grow closer to me and you'll know who I am and you'll know who you are in light of all of that and you'll understand all these things. You know what? I got nothing but peace because of it because nothing can happen to me that God doesn't allow to happen. Do you understand that? And I don't think it's any coincidence that those who have a hard time forgiving and those who have a hard time forgetting are people that don't spend much time reading the Word of God. You doubt it? Look around. The most bitter and angry and resentful and malicious people that I know are people that spend no time whatsoever in the Word of God. Because as we're exposed to God and who He is, and we're exposed to what He's done for us, and we're exposed to our own frailty and our own humanity, and we're also exposed to His grace and His love and His forgiveness, and how He says He forgets as far as the East is from the West, and I begin to go through this and realize how true all these things are, I begin to understand, you know what? There isn't any reason I can't rise above any offense and anybody does against me because one thing I know is God allowed it for His purposes and for His glory. And number two is He loves me more than anybody else on the face of the earth and He allows it because it's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me as I grow and I learn through all of it. And so no longer am I bitter towards somebody who would harm me or offend me or do something because I'm grateful for it, even though what you may have meant as evil, God has meant for something good. What a wonderful truth that is. And when it comes to forgetting, it's like, you know what? I don't even remember what you did because I'm more focused on what God's doing through all of it. All he did was use you to accomplish his purposes. So it's not personal. Our battle, our warfare isn't against flesh and blood. It's spiritual. And it's everything behind those things. It's not personal. So you get a boss who hurts you. You know what, though? But you got to look at what's behind it. Who's behind it? What is God trying to teach you? You've got a relationship, a husband or wife who has harmed you, or children have hurt you. So what? It's not an offense that they have caused in your life. God is using them to bring out something in you that needs to be dealt with to conform you into the image and the likeness of His Son. It's easy to rise up against above any offense when we can get into the Word of God and He says, you know what, for those who love the Word of God, you'll have great peace in your life because it's how God speaks to us and how He reveals Himself to us. And there isn't anything that can happen in your life that it's going to cause a major stumble. Why? Because you know God's in control. He's the one that allows it to happen. It's all in His purpose. 
All things do work together for good to those who what? Who love the Lord, who love His Word, who are called according to His purposes. That's what it's all about. The third truth is this. We need to also, if you're going to learn how to forget, we've got to resist a judgmental attitude. Look at Matthew chapter 7. You know, Matthew chapter 7, you know, Jesus deals with this whole issue of forgiveness and forgetting in Matthew 7 when he deals with the whole problem of hypocrisy. He goes on and says, you know what, the thing is, that the temptation's there to be hypocritical. The temptation's there to judge one another in a hypocritical manner. In Matthew 7, 1 through 7, he says, you know what, don't, don't judge, let's you be judged. For in the way that you judge, you also be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own? You're a hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He goes on, and, you know, and look what he's saying. He's saying, you know, it, it, it's not the judgment of another that is wrong. Jesus never said you can't judge, we shouldn't judge one another. We should judge one another. We see it all throughout Scripture. The purpose of, of holding one another accountable to God's standards are we're to build each other up, to encourage each other, to assemble together, not as, as others who don't assemble, but not forsaking the assembling together, but, but gathering together and encouraging each other to keep each other accountable to the standards of, of the Word of God, to uphold those standards. You know, if you look at 1 Corinthians 5, you look at Matthew 18, we talked about discipline. Those are, those are passages that deal with accountability. Jesus isn't saying, oh, don't judge one another. What he's saying is, don't be hypocritical when you judge one another. How easy it is not to forgive another who has harmed you, as we saw last time we were together, Matthew 18, somebody owes you 12 bucks, you owe somebody $12 million dollars. You can't forgive the guy who owes you $12. He got this little speck in his eye, the 12 bucks, and you've got this huge log in your eye, the 12 million, and we're hypocritical in our judgment of one another. And the reason we can't forget is because of that. We don't recognize the fact that we're being hypocrites. Somebody has harmed you, said something to you in some way or another, and you can't forgive them. You can't forget what they did. And it's like, man, Jesus said, wait a minute, stop and think about this for a second. You need to remove that log from your eye. So you can help the other person remove the speck. You ever get something in your contact lens and you can't get it out and you have to go to somebody and say, hey, can you see this? Can you get that? Yeah, hey, hey, can you get that? That's what it reminds me of. It's like I need to go to somebody for help because there are times in my life I got a speck in my eye and I just can't even see it to get it out. So I'll go to my wife and say, Linda, do you see it? And they'll be like, well, uh, both of us, and it's so funny. You ever see somebody do this? You got two people who are miles to go wide open. <laughs> I just saw she got her to Ah, uh, no, look to the left, look up, look down. Look, oh, no, nah, I can't see it. Oh, no, there it goes. Oh, where'd it go? I don't know. Go again. And go, ah. You know, sometimes it's like that, you know, and we can't hardly even see that speck in somebody else's eye because we have this huge log in ours, but we can't forgive them and we can't forget about it because we choose simply not to. Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? We can hold each other accountable and judge each other, but you know what? There's a time where we got to stop being hypocritical. And we've got to walk right before God. We've got to take care of business with God ourselves before we can deal with what's going on in the lives of other people. And that leads us to the, to the fourth guideline, and that's simply this. You know what? Some of us need to remember our own weaknesses. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. The Apostle Paul says, you know, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing that I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, you know what, one thing that always keeps him in check in his relationship and his dealings with one another, he says, you know what, I'm not perfect. I've got my own weaknesses. 
And it's important to understand the context in which these verses are found. If you look back at, at uh, verses three through, I mean five through seven, what he was saying is that you go through it. In fact, in verse four, he says, "You know what? Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, he says if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more." He's saying that you know there are many of us who feel confident, you know, in our relationship before God that we're good people, that we've done all the things that we're supposed to do. He says, you know what? I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law. I was a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. I did all the things I was supposed to do. But he says, you know what, though? But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He said, you know, there was a time in my life where I thought I was doing everything I needed to do to be right with God. And then I met Jesus Christ. And I realized it's by God's grace that I was saved through faith and not of works. And nothing that I'd ever done in my life. Not all the religious things that I've ever done. And when I met Jesus Christ, I realized, you know what? All those things that I thought were important, I count them as rubbish for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's nothing more important in life. That's what grace is all about. He said, so there's nothing more important. I've counted all as rubbish. I throw it all away. He says, you know, whatever those things were, I, I, I count it as loss. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, he said, in comparison to Jesus Christ, nothing else made any difference. Nothing else mattered. All the Bible reading and church going and all the different ceremonies and rituals you can go through, none of it made any difference. For it's by grace we've been saved through faith. And he began to realize that, and as he's gone through it, you know, it led him up to, chapter, to verse 12 where he said, you know what, not that I've already obtained it. Not that I've already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I want to just share three things with you, three statements that he makes that I think will change our life forever if we apply them in the area of forgetting about offenses that other people have caused in our life and even offenses that we've caused ourselves. He says these three things. Basically saying in verse 12, you know what, I have not arrived. I'm not there yet. He goes on and says, but whatever I do, I forget what lies behind. And then the third thing he says is, well, now that I forgot what lies behind, it's time that I move ahead and I press on. I just want to share kind of some personal things as we go through this because I think they'll help us to understand about forgetting. But you know what he said? He goes, you know what? First thing is this, I haven't arrived. To remember our own weaknesses, we have to admit in our life that I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And the standard that we set for one another really is a reflection of whether we understand that truth. See, if I believe that I'm perfect, and I believe that, you know what, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, then you know what's going to happen to you in your dealings with me? You're going to fall real short. Because you're going to make mistakes. And you're going to fail. And you're not going to live up to that standard or that expectation. And as a result, I'm going to have a hard time forgiving you. I'm going to have a hard time forgetting about it because you don't meet my expectations. If you are a person who would be considered perfectionist, I will guarantee you that you're having a very difficult time with relationships in your life because people have not met that perfection standard that you have set for them. Your husband or your wife falls short. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend falls short. Your children fall short. Your boss falls short. Co-workers fall short. People at church fall short. Everyone falls short of that standard because they just haven't been able to achieve that and attain that standard of perfection. And so as a result, even if they ask you for forgiveness, it's hard to forgive them. And even if you say you forgive them, you really don't because you can't forget about it. Why? Because they haven't measured up to that level of perfection that you expect of them. And every time they fall short of that standard that you have set, you have to struggle once again with whether you're going to forgive them and forget about it. See, I think that's what Peter was. I think Peter was a perfectionist. That's why I asked the question, how many times am I to forgive people? How about seven times? Because I can't do it indefinitely. And it'll be interesting as we see how God dealt with Peter in his own life about this standard, that one thing that Peter forgot, he forgot to remember his own weaknesses. 
Oh yeah, everyone else will deny you, but I'll never deny you. Why? Because man, I can maintain that standard. And sure enough, God knew that he couldn't because none of us are perfect. See, he says that I haven't arrived yet. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, I have not arrived yet. How in the world can you think that you have? How in the world can I think that I have? He said that he hasn't. All the education and the gifts that he has and all the churches that he founded and everything that was going on in his life and his faithfulness to God and everything that he went through, he says, you know what? I'm still under construction. He's the one that said, he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm still work in progress. So are you. And if we remember that, we can make the same statement. You know what? I haven't arrived yet. And neither have you. See, if I'm going to be able to dis disagree with you and do so agreeably, it makes it a lot easier when I realize, you know what, that both of us or all of us are still work in progress. I can't expect you to be perfect and make right decisions or the ones that I would make are the same ones or whatever or ones that will never be wrong. If I expect perfection, you're going to fail. And if you expect me to be perfect, I'm going to fail. And we're going to have a miserable time learning how to accept one another. And those differences that so easily divide us. But when I realize that you're not perfect and I'm not perfect and you're entitled to mistakes and I'm entitled to mistakes and we're all going to make them and that's what forgiving one another is all about and asking for forgiveness and, and, and sharing forgiveness and restoration is all about, then I can get on with my life because Paul said, hey, you know what? I'm still under construction and so are you. I like that. If you're a perfectionist, can I challenge you to understand something that everybody in your life knows but you? You are still under construction. And the biggest area that's going on right now, and you don't even know it is, is the fact that you expect everybody else to be perfect. And that's a major area of pride that God needs to deal with in your life. You are not the standard setter. God is. You know, it's like that Rudy movie, right? Two things I'm sure of. One, there is a God, and the other one is I'm not him. Right? You know, keep remembering that, because that's true. You're not God. You're not perfect. You don't set the standard. You have to allow for and give room for people who are under construction. You know, there's anybody who goes on a job site in the middle of a job and thinks this job's going to turn out very good. Being in the construction industry, I'm amazed that things turn out. You're out on the job. You see who's out there building these things. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, you go out on a job. I mean, if you ever build anything, stay away till it's all done. I mean, it's, it, you'll be a nervous wreck. It's a disaster. You got a job and you go, oh man, look at the people out here building this thing. You know, thank God there's people out there, you know, that come in and, and inspect stuff. You know, that's their job. And then sometimes you see them come and you go, this thing's doomed. <laughs> it's like, hey, you know, there's no hope here. But then when it's all done, you look and say, man, what a great finished product. That's what we're all going to be. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. There's going to be a day in heaven where I'm going to look around and say, you turned out all right. And that's even, with the, even if we think about it, and I don't think we'll be thinking about it. But he says, you know what? I haven't arrived yet. The second thing he says is this, but I forget, brethren, I don't regard myself as laying hold of it because I haven't arrived yet. But one thing I do know, I forget what lies behind. I forget what lies behind. You know, if you go through this, think about what he's saying here. He did not live in the past. He lived in the present. He says, you know, if there's one thing that I can help you to understand is if you want to move on with your life with the Lord, you've got to forget what lies behind. And that's a huge statement. Now listen to me and understand what he's saying. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for a second. This isn't some flippant statement by somebody who doesn't know what he's talking about. He's saying, you know what? What I've learned is, if I'm going to move on, I need to forget what lies behind. I don't know what's gone on in your life. I don't know what's gone on in your past. I don't know what hurts you have gone through, but I'm going to tell you this. God does. And Paul says this. You know what? <laughs> I forget what lies behind. And there's a good reason for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 24. Just reminding all of us, he says, you know, well, there are five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. There's three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I've spent in the deep. 
Now, I've been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers and in dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there was also the daily pressure upon me of concern for all of the churches. He's saying, man, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. And he's wearing milk bone underwear. You know what he's saying? It's like, man, I'm getting hammered. Everywhere I turn, I'm getting nipped on, man. I'm getting chewed up and spit out. My friends are beating me up. My enemies are beating me up. I got to travel places I'm getting beat up. I got stoned and I was left for dead once and then lowered over a wall in a basket. I was whipped by the Jews five different times. They gave me 39 lashes. Man, this has been pretty tough. And on top of all of that, I got concerned for all the churches that we found and all the people that we met and all the problems that they're going through and the difficulties and the trials and the struggles that God's allowing in their life. You know what? This is a tough world we live in. So when he says, I'm forgetting about all these things, what he's saying is this. Has he forgot about them? No. Because he just told us about them. So he knows what happened. So forgetting isn't a standpoint of, I'm not talking about amnesia here. It's not, God, give me amnesia so I can forget all this stuff, all this pain in my life. Just take it away from me so I don't remember it. That's not what he's saying. He remembered all these things. He's telling us and reminding us, look, when I say to you to forget the past, I'm not flippantly just say, oh, it'll be okay, don't worry about it. But what forgetting is, is not taking into an account a wrong suffered. You see, there's a huge difference between not taking into an account a wrong suffered for the purpose of getting evil with somebody or to get back at them for what they did versus just not forgetting about it from the standpoint I don't remember it anymore. We are never going to forget some of the pain and the hardship and the aches and all the things that we've gone through in life. It'll always be there. And you know what? Sometimes that's not all that bad. Sometimes I want God to remove from me the memory of all the things that I've done to hurt people in my life. But you know what? Every time I'm reminded of that, it causes me to praise God and to thank Him for His grace. But there, by the grace of God, I would still be doing the same thing. See, sometimes it's good to remember pain from the standpoint of praising God for the deliverance from it and also to remind us never to do that again to somebody. You know, you don't want to forget certain things. There's good things that we can learn from it. They say, don't ever forget the past because if you do, history tends to repeat itself. And that's so true. But we learn from it. But what he's talking about, what God is saying is forgetting means don't take into account a wrong suffered for the purpose of getting back at that person. Paul's saying, I forgot about it. You know what? I'm not going to try to get even with all these people. I'm not going to go back after them. I'm not asking God, hey, God, strike all these people dead for everything they've done to me. Look at this list. We can go on and on. Look at all these people. He's saying, you know what? I forget about all of it. It's like Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And we can move on. Forgetting the past doesn't mean you ever forget some of the things, but it means that you choose to deliberately overlook them. And you thank God for His grace that will give you the power to be able to do so. It's a wonderful truth. You know what? I mean, the Bible is filled with people who have been hurt. Look at Joseph. What a great story of a guy who just went through it. You know, so, so much for the Technicolor dream coat and stuff, you know? We, we see the play at the Pantages, and what a wonderful thing. Look, he's thrown in prison, and they're dancing and singing. You know, it's like, hey, he's thrown in prison, and he didn't even do anything wrong. His family hated him. His brothers hated him. Sold him into slavery. Dropped him down into a pit. And they were going to leave him there. And then they thought, well, now let's not let him die there. We can sell him and get some money for it. So they sold him. And they took the money for it. And they took him into slavery. And he was taken to Egypt. And he was abused. And he was sold from one person to another. And finally ended up in Potiphar's court. And Potiphar's wife said, hey, you are a good-looking guy. Why don't you jump in the sack with me? And he said, no, I can't do that. I can't, I can't do that against God, and I can't do it against my boss. He's been a great guy. And she said, fine, if you don't do it, I'll yell rape. And he said, well, then yell rape. And she did. And she grabbed his clothes, and he ran out of there naked. And he was like going, oh, no, great. This is kind of incriminating evidence. And so they took him, they threw him in the prison, and for two years he was sitting in prison going like this. Oh, don't, don't forget. And I don't even see. The problem was he couldn't even quote Romans 8.28. <laughs> Some of you are going, well, why not? Because it wasn't there yet. 
He didn't even do it. I mean, it was like, oh man, he's sitting in prison. For two years he sat there. And you know that he was sitting there going, ah, I don't get this. God, what in the world? I mean, I did what I was supposed to do. And then, and on top of all of that, he's taken out of prison and he's made second in command of all of Egypt. And he's working for Pharaoh and he's his right-hand man. And there's a famine in Israel and his brothers who had sold him into slavery now have to come to Egypt and they're begging for food and they don't even know who he is and he's sitting there and he's judging them. And he's thinking, man, too bad I did study 1 Corinthians 13. Because <laughs> I'd love to take into account the wrong suffered right now. Man, can you imagine what I could do to these guys? I am in the authority here. I could throw them away forever. I could do whatever I want. I could have them executed. I can have them beaten. I can have them whatever I want to do. I can get even with them. And then his brothers realized who he was. And that was enough punishment. They were like, eh. you know, we didn't mean it. He did it. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't even want to do it. They're like, oh, yeah, he was the oldest one. He said, hey, don't even worry about it. You know what he said? He's saying, I deliberately have chosen to forget. You know why? Because what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. And in fact, when he went on, his first child that was born, and listen to this, this is, oh, what a wonderful truth. In Genesis 41, 51, it says this, and Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all of my trouble and all of my father's household. His firstborn son was named Manasseh in Hebrew, which meant God has made me to forget. God has made me forget. You know, it's sad. God has made me forget all of my trouble. I think some of us can relate to Joseph's background. Difficult family situation. The wonderful thing is, you know what? But God can make you forget. Amy Carmichael said, If I say yes, I forgive, but I cannot forget. As though the God who twice a day washes all the sands on all the shores of all the world could not wash such memories from my mind, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. And the last thing that he says is this. Paul says, you know what? But I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But I press on. You know what I'm saying? It's time to move ahead. It's time to move forward. I remember my own weaknesses. I choose to forget that which lies behind. I'm not taking into account a wrong that's suffered. I don't want to get even with anybody. I don't want to see anything bad happen to anyone. I'm moving on with my life and I'm trusting God that He's in control and that everything that has happened to me in my past from whatever it is, whether it's divorce or separation or abuse or, or whatever you've gone through in your life, whatever it is, what's ever happened, God knew about it. And for whatever reason, God allowed it so that we could learn of the compassion and the goodness of God, so we can learn of the grace of God, so we could be made stronger through all of those things, so that we can that it would produce endurance in our life, so we could grow perfect and be made mature in our faith, so that we would be gracious toward those around us who we come in contact with, who fail oftentimes miserably. God knows that. And Paul says, and you know what? And because of that, man, I am moving forward. Near the end of his life, he said, I fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I haven't let the past slow me down from what God has for me today and for tomorrow. I don't have time to be embittered by all of this and malice and wrathful and anger and sit around wasting good energy trying to get even with people that have hurt me because if I'm sitting around doing that, I can't be doing what God wants me to do today. If I'm wallowing in self-pity from yesterday, I can't enjoy God's joy that He has for me today and do the things that He's calling me to do today and reach the people that He wants me to reach today. I'm moving ahead with my life. You know, some of us are so bitter and angry about the past and the hurts that we've gone through that we use it as excuses not to do things that God wants us to do today. We use the failures of other people to be our excuse for not doing what God's calling us to do. Well, so-and-so failed. I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do anymore. And we got our eyes on people again instead of on the Lord. When we look at people, people will always fail us. 
It's not that there's anything wrong with our faith and there's certainly nothing wrong with our God. There's just something wrong with all of us. And that's the depravity of man. And that's what grace is all about and forgiveness. And that's why Jesus died for our sins. We're all going to be like that. There's nothing wrong with God. And when I keep my eyes on Him and when I put Him as the author and perfecter of my faith and when I look forward and I see Jesus Christ at the finish line, I'm looking at Him and I'm running the race and I'm going to be steadfast and moving. I'm going to keep on doing it and I can't let my past slow me down. I'm going to lay aside every encumbrance. If it means bitterness about our past, then lay it aside. The sad fact is that if our attitude is that we can't change and we can't forget, then you never will. Because God says we have to willingly forgive. God says we have to willingly forget. And His grace is sufficient to allow us to do that. Let me close with this story. It's a true story and, it's, and it sums up everything that I've been talking about. John Edmund Haggai tells this regarding the, the birth of his son. He says, The Lord graciously blessed us with a precious son. He was paralyzed and able to sit in his wheelchair only with the assistance of a full-length body brace. It says, one of the nation's most respected gynecologists and obstetricians brought him into the world. It says, tragically, this man, overcome by grief, sought to find the answer in a bourbon bottle rather than in a blessed Bible. It says, and due to the doctor's intoxication at the time of deliver delivery, he inexcusably bungled his responsibility. And several of our baby's bones were broken. His legs were pulled out at the, at the growing center. Needless abuse resulting in hemorrhaging of the brain was inflicted upon this little fellow. And he says, let me pause long enough to say this is certainly no indictment upon doctors. I thank God for them. This man was a tragic exception. And he was banned from his practice in some hospitals and ultimately committed suicide. He says, but during the first year of this little lad's life, eight doctors said he could not possibly survive. For the first two years of his life, my wife had to feed him every three hours with a Brecht feeder. It took a half hour to prepare the feeding, took another half hour to clean it up and put him back in bed. Not once during the time did she ever get out of the house for any diversion whatsoever. Never did she get more than two hours of sleep on any one given occasion. My wife, the formerly Christine Barker of Bristol, Virginia, had once been acclaimed by some of the nation's leading musicians as one of the outstanding contemporary female vocalists in all of America. From the time that she was 13, she had been popular as a singer and constantly in the public eye. Hers was the experience of receiving and rejecting some fancy offers with even fancier incomes to marry an aspiring pa ba Baptist pastor. Oh, that could get me in trouble. <clears throat> with with um, <clears throat> rewind. <clears throat> to marry an aspiring Baptist pastor with no church to pastor. Then after five years of marriage, tragedy struck. The whole episode was so unnecessary, and eight of the nation's leading doctors said that our son could not survive. From a life of public service, she was now marooned within the walls of her home. Her beautiful voice no longer enraptured public audiences with the story of Jesus, but was now silenced or at best muted to the subdued, subdued humming of lullabies. Had it not been for her spiritual maturity, whereby she laid hold of the resources of God and lived one day at a time, this heart-rending experience would long since have caused an emotional breakdown. John Edmund Jr., our little son, lived for more than 20 years. We rejoice that he committed his heart and his life to Jesus Christ and gave evidence of a genuine concern for the things of the Lord. I attribute this commitment to Jesus Christ and to his, and to his wonderful disposition. I attribute this commitment to Jesus Christ and his wonderful disposition to the sparkling radiance of an emotionally mature, Christ-centered mother who has mastered the discipline of living one day at a time. Never have I, nor has anyone else, heard a word of complaint from her. The people who know her concur that at 35 years of age, and after having been subjected to more grief than many people twice her age, she possessed sparkle that would be the envy of any high school senior, and the radiance and charm for which any debutante would gladly give a fortune. The point is very simple, that we need to seize this moment in time. We need to seize today. I don't know what pain that you've may have been through in your life, but God certainly does. And he tells us that forgiving those who have offended us or harmed us is a choice, and so is choosing to forget those wrongs. You know, and it's possible to do that by the grace of God. God's grace truly is amazing, and it's able to do the impossible. And you need to ask yourself, is there someone that I refuse to forgive is there an event in my life that I refuse to forget? 
And if so, has your life been tortured because of that? Then God says it's time to deal with it. It's time to ask for forgiveness. It's time to ask God to make you forget those memories so that you can press on and you can forget what lies behind and that you can move ahead to what God has for you today and for tomorrow. Because even God says, you know what? Hey, live for today because each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't be anxious for tomorrow and don't let the past hold you back from what God has for you today. Let's pray. Father, we just want to take a moment today just to, for those who are struggling with their past, for those who have been harmed in ways that only you know, that they just take a moment just to recognize that you are a wonderful and gracious God. That if they would choose to forgive, you will empower them to do so. And if they would choose to forget, to not take into account a wrong suffered, that you will make that possible as well. God, help us to be people that don't log in the offenses that others have caused in our life, but to quickly forgive them, recognizing our own weaknesses, recognizing that they too are in progress as we are, that none of us are perfect. There's not one of us. None of us are even righteous. No, not one. And to be reminded of your grace, and that's why Jesus came to die for our sins. God, help us to forget the pain in our life that is hindering us from being everything that you have us to be today. Help us to lay it aside so that we can enjoy your relationship and the joy that you have and the peace and the comfort that you give us today. God, help us to be like this woman who could have been so bitter toward this ugly and cruel hand that life had dealt her to recognize that you are in control and that all things do work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. That there is shalom, there is peace for those who love your word that will walk according to your word and your ways. God, help us to be forgiving people, willing to forget to overlook the offenses of others. And as we do so, to thank you for the wonderful and amazing grace that you give us that allows that to even be possible. God, help us to become people who live, leave here today, people who live for today, seizing the moment, looking forward to what you have to give us. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.